You guys, with that, um, I, I want to get right to it. We are so blessed to be able to live our lives based on what Jesus said. And I'm really, really excited that we get to talk about him. Really excited we get to, like, dig into what he said. But if that's all we're doing, it's an intellectual pursuit, and anybody can do that. We need the Holy Spirit to not only understand his word, but to build our life on what Jesus said. And he's not only willing, it was his great pleasure to give us the kingdom. So we've been talking about the kingdom. And one of the first things we looked at is what Jesus said about the kingdom. Join me really quick, if you will, in Mark 1, 15. Now Mark is an amazing book, 16 chapters. And when we call them chapters, they're not like a normal chapter book. It's about 45 verses max. So about 45 sentences max. But in Mark, he's just, bam, he gets right to it. Immediately, immediately, immediately. That word is just repeated all the way through the book of Mark. And he's an action guy. He's saying this is who Jesus is, and this is what he did, and this is what he came for, and this is what Jesus said in Mark 1, 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand or near in your presence. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, change directions, change mind, believe in the gospel, believe in the good news of the kingdom. He's doing this in the context of one of his close friends has been not only arrested, but is about, well, I think at this point he's been beheaded. And Jesus is like, oh, sweet, kingdom's at hand. What? Looks like it couldn't get any worse. This wasn't even Rome that cut off the head. This was a Jewish king that cut off the head of a Jewish prophet because he didn't like what he was saying. You feel canceled? That's canceled. (laughs) Right? And yet, we're talking about him 2,000 plus years later. God's word, God's kingdom, God's rule in his reign is forever. Forever. He rules. He reigns. So what and where is the kingdom of God? We've talked about this. I'll let you guys tell those who haven't been here, or if you haven't been here and you know the answer to that, please go for it. What and where is the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? Anything inside my 10-foot bubble. <laughs> Anything inside your 10-foot bubble? He within me. Amen. And so where I go, his kingdom goes. Cool. Thank you. So Eric's saying... Anything in his life, where he goes, God's kingdom goes. Sweet. Anybody else? Not, is that true for you? Amen. I hope it is. What's the kingdom? Is it outside of the 10-foot bubble, Eric, do you think? Do you think he rules and reigns everything? From a universal standpoint, like he's in charge? Hallelujah. Because it was him that spoke it all into existence and created us by his hands. Crazy. Bore his arm, it says, for our salvation. Anybody else? Heaven. Heaven, absolutely. The kingdom of heaven, as Matthew says, synonymous with the kingdom of God, but heaven. His rule and his reign. God's kingdom is wherever God is. I love it. Thank you, Michelle. 
So what and where is the kingdom, right? His rule and his reign. Wherever that is, wherever he is. I love this summary, and I'm just going to read it for you because I didn't write it. It's from a sweet website called Got Questions. encourage you to go check that out if you got questions. And check what they say by the word. Don't just take their word for it. But the kingdom of God has several aspects. The Lord is the sovereign of the entire universe. And so in that sense, his kingdom is universal. Check out 1 Timothy 6.15 if you get a chance. At the same time, the kingdom of God involves repentance and new birth. As God rules in the hearts of his children in this world in preparation for the next. The work began on earth. And it will find its consummation in heaven. You can see Philippians 1.6. Noah and I were reading through Philippians a little bit together a couple weeks ago. And the reality on that is God is gracious and awesome and he's God. Nobody else is. He's got plans for you. He's faithful to complete the work that he begins in you. You don't want him, he's not going to shove himself on you. But what and where is the kingdom? Could be in you. It's his rule and it's his reign. So let me ask you, kind of on the next idea here, who is in the kingdom of God? Talked about this last week. Who's in the kingdom of God? Come on, I love it. Yeah, that's what she just said too. I love it so much. Julie Moser was here last week. She said, anyone who wants to be? How crazy is this? I want to be in the kingdom of God. Cool. Is there any Buddy, who can be kept from the kingdom of God? Nope, except for those who want to be king in the kingdom of God. And I don't just mean sometimes. I mean, you're like, look, I'm going to follow God my way. That's not even a thing. And yet we make it a thing or try to. But he wants us. It was his great pleasure, like I said, to give us the kingdom. So anybody who wants to. By his grace, who's in the kingdom? Brand new people. Born again people. New life in Christ people. He's the one that calls us. And we, you're inviting me? Yeah, I paid for it with my blood. I want you in the kingdom. Great, so it's humble, dependent, trusting, believing people like children. This is what Jesus said. And so today, we'll finish up this whole series that's a whopping three weeks long with how do we live in the kingdom of God. Can I say something that isn't part of the message, but I want to just bring it to you right off the bat, so I guess technically it's part of the message? Not by yourself. Not by yourself. But how do we live in the kingdom of God? Church, you got any ideas off of that? Just off of what we talked about, off of what you know. How do we live in the kingdom of God? In Christ's example as a servant leader, leader, laying down our lives, giving up, trusting, believing. Good. What else? Loving people. people. Outstanding. Putting Putting Christ first and ourselves last. 
in relationship with him. In community. In obedience. Is any of that, what's that? Amen. Is there opportunities to forgive people? What day is it today? (laughs) What's that? Any any day that ends in a Y, right? That's a, like, no, my household, we have a bunch of days, and we get to forgive each other on the regular. You're welcome. No big deal. I'll be here all morning. Some of you are like, we know. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen this act before. Okay. You guys, will you join me in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. We're going to spend so much time on this at the end of the year, so I'm only going to cherry pick one verse here right now, but we are going to do what's called the Beatitudes, the blessings, how to be happy, content, fulfilled in Christ. We're going to spend many weeks until the end of the year on that. But in Matthew 5, 3, this great king, this awesome God, this humble servant says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to remind you again, Matthew was writing to Jewish people, and so just to say the name God, for many Jewish people felt offensive. They, did, they wouldn't say Yahweh. They'd say, uh, gosh, what is that one, Angie? Uh, when they say, bless the holy name. Do you remember what that is? Baruch Hashem. They wouldn't even say Baruch Yahweh. There was nothing about God's name. And so he would say, the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of God. And who did he say it belonged to? Poor in spirit. We've got a lot to think about with regards to that. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Many people have taken this teaching because of other teachings of Jesus and say, he's saying, if you're po, so po you can't afford an R, you're in the kingdom. <laughs> That's not quite. Look, if you're poor... Sometimes you have less distraction, but I've noticed this about my friends that are wealthy and those that are in poverty. They both think about money a lot. So it's a different kind of poor. And I want to break it down for you. I have quite a few directions that I'm going to go today, which is not abnormal. We've seen this act before. This idea of being poor in spirit is something that for you and me, We've already talked about, and we've talked about it this morning. It's a poverty of spirit. It's recognizing that you and I are spiritually bankrupt apart from God. We don't have anything where God's like, I owe you one. You are amazing. I love that gold tooth. You shine like a diamond. Come on in. Well, I was at church so often. I was one of those people that yelled, we shouldn't shut down churches. We should keep them open. So I'm in. No, poverty of spirit is understanding 
that you and I don't have anything that God can look at and say, you're mine because you're so amazing. We don't have anything that we could say to God or God could say to us, I should say, salvation is yours. Because that very word, salvation, means you need to be saved from something. And what is it that Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascending and his giving us his spirit, what does that save us from? Ourselves? Death? God's wrath. All the above. We need a savior because what we bring to the table is a need for a savior. Like we, we're messed up. We're spiritually poor. I don't have my poop in a group. I don't have my soul on a roll. Everything's good here. Move on. Those people in Medina need you. They're so rich. But we need him. And this is Jesus is saying, look, you've got to admit Right off the bat, check this out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's declaring that before we can enter God's kingdom, we must recognize the other worthlessness of our own spiritual currency and the inability of our own works to save us. It's not money poor, but it's spiritually bankrupt, and it's okay to admit it, because everybody is. That's not where we stay if we're in him, and that becomes a problem. And so we're going to move on to something where Jesus actually gives us an application of what it means to be spiritually poor, to recognize that we don't have it together, that we need a savior, that we need a king that isn't us. My father in the faith, Kevin Kavanaugh, taught me this a long time ago, and I'm sure he read it somewhere, although he's amazing. Most of his good stuff he stole from somebody else. Any smart human does. Like, God created all of this good stuff. But he said, imagine two kids making mud pies, sitting in a mud puddle, throwing them at each other, and having a blast. Can you guys, can you picture that right now? So been there, done that. This week? No, I'm just kidding. All right. You're like, I'm not going to tell. That's my story. All right, good. But you're seeing that. And then one of them says, oh, my goodness. You guys, take a look really quick. These little kids, they're outside. What, what are they doing today with that, Kathy? They're worshiping. What a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> love it so much all right so he says imagine that one of them looks at the other one and goes i wasn't supposed to get dirty they're completely covered in mud and water and the one goes well let me help clean you up they can't clean each other up they can't clean themselves up somebody clean has to come and clean them up that somebody is Jesus. That poverty of spirit, that spiritual bankruptcy, whether you believe it or not, whether you're fully in addiction right now and you're just like, oh gosh, he's talking to me, or you've got everything you've ever wanted and you think, it's so good. I, he must be talking to somebody else in here. 
It's you too. It's all of us. And that somebody that cleans you and me is Jesus. And you and I have to admit it. This is where anybody can come into the kingdom if they admit that they need a king who is also a savior and redeemer. And if you don't want him as that, he'll be your judge. Will you join me in Luke 14? We were there last week on a different parable. And this particular time, he's at a party that he was invited to. And listen to what he says. Now, he told a parable. This is Luke 14, 7 through 11. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. You know what that's like, right? You been to a wedding that it's just kind of open seating? What's the first place that you think about sitting? If it's in the back, maybe so you can get out, or it's in the back because you don't want attention to be brought to you, or it's in the front because you want attention and you want to see good stuff. Is the dad going to cry? You know, all that stuff. But really, this is when we actually start thinking a whole lot about places of honor is at the reception. We want to know who's going to get called first to go eat. <laughs> right now, we get assigned seats often in that, but if it's a sit where you want and you see numbers, you're like, oh, they're going to start with one. Because I am wasting away to nothing. It's been 10 minutes since I had something to eat. You know, you're just like, oh, I need food. Well, he's watching these people at this feast sit in the places of honor, and they're jockeying for position. You guys, I despise, absolutely despise being in a culture where the pastors and the elders and the evangelists and the worship director and all that have a seat up on the stage. We're not quite there anymore, but there's a lot of places like that. I don't like that. Or is that a prayer thing? And they're like, oh, all the pastors, all the people that are going to be praying are going to be sitting up front. And I'm like, can I just sit in the, in the audience? And I, my legs still work. I can walk up on there. I can pray, and I can go sit back down. Oh, no, no, it, it's a seat of honor. feels weird. Not because I don't think that God has honored me and given me a mantle and power and position and all that, but he's done that. Have you ever heard me introduce myself as Pastor Aaron? Only when people need to hear it. I'll sign a letter of recommendation, lead Pastor Aaron Day, right? Because that's what people need and that's what they talk about. But my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the big deal about me. And you know who wrote that name there? Not me, not my mama, not my wife, not my kids, not somebody that was just being nice for a moment. It was Jesus. That's the big deal about Aaron Day. That's the big deal about you. That's spiritual poverty. I don't try to sit in a spot of honor, and yet I'll sit up here, and I'll stand up here every service for the most part. And you know why? Because you lovingly distract me. I want to see you. I want to see how you're doing. But if I'm there, 
in the front row, the only thing I have in front of me is the team, and I usually close my eyes. Now, I'm a distraction to some of you, so maybe that's something I got to work on. But this isn't I sit up here because, well, that's where the good people sit. All five of you, yeah? (laughs) No, you guys, Jesus saw this, and he called it out. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Remember, you were invited. (laughs) Let that sit for a second. Invited. Don't sit in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. It's the walk of shame. You've experienced this. Some of you dating online have experienced it. Some of you dating in person have experienced it. Some of you married have experienced it. Some of you as parents have experienced it. Some of you as kids have experienced it. Teachers, bosses, workers, students. You think they're talking to you. You think they're choosing you, and it's actually somebody else. You've been married, and they think you should be somebody that you're not. They thought you were somebody that you're not. And you feel shamed. You feel embarrassed. You feel less than. And Jesus is saying, when you make it about you, this is how it ends. You're embarrassed. You're shamed. Start humble and watch him lift you up. Oh my goodness, there's so much about that in the word. So much. James 4, 6. I mean, Goodness, friends, I go forever on that one, but I'm going to bring it back. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Start low. It's not about you. Be humbled. And that's like, I'm just happy to be here kind of a thing. But here's what's crazy. We get in the kingdom and we're growing in the kingdom and we're even teaching people and we're excited about it and we start to think, oh, I'm kind of a big deal. The same stuff applies for you that did before you were saved in this way. You're not the savior. You're not the king. You're not the one that gives the places of honor. You are invited and you said, yeah, by his grace. And so be humble. Be thankful. Invite other people to the party. Don't be like, oh, I'd love to talk to you, but I'm up there closer to the food. <laughs> For everyone who exalts himself or herself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who invited these people to the party? Did they invite themselves? 
We got those people. So what are you doing on July 4th? No, no, no. This is an invite. You're invited. It wasn't your party, but you're invited to the party to celebrate it, to enjoy it. And you show up and you look around and you're like, oh gosh, I, I need a seat of honor. Those are the things that happen to us as we grow closer to the Lord. As we grow closer to the Lord, we should be like, he's so awesome. And I'm so blessed to be here. We get so much like that that we don't need people to help us. We don't go to men's things. We don't go to women's things. We don't serve because somebody should serve me. Or I gave it the office. Look, some of you sit there and you're like, oh gosh, he's guilt tripping me. I should sign up for that trash thing. I should help with the kids. I should greet people. I should give up my spot. I should go in the back. Or, I mean, the, the back seems to be like the seats of honor because those get filled up way before these do. <laughs> but here's what's up. I don't, this isn't a guilt trip. This is a reminder. Dear friend, if you're in the kingdom, there is a king and you're not him. So follow him. Thank him. Come to the party. Invite people to the party. Be excited to be at the party. I'll say it like this. Jesus beautifully summarizes his kingdom message right here. He said it in another way. If you want to be great, be the servant. This should sound familiar because the king of kings is a servant king. You want to be first, you're going to be last. You come in last, you're going to be first. More about that some more in the, in the following months. But where are you serving? Where are you humbling yourself? As it says on the screen, there is a God and we're not him. A little bit further in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says a very familiar teaching, and I'm going to let the king teach. I've got three words at the end of it, and then we're going to go. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The answer to that is yes. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Or worried is another way to translate that word. We know that worry actually takes away life. It doesn't add to it. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Some of you might be wondering who Solomon is. Outside of David, who was his father, he was the greatest king in Israel until Jesus. And he blew it bad, but he was super rich. And at one point in an supreme act of humility. He didn't ask for authority and power and victory over his enemies. He didn't ask for money. He said, Lord, give me wisdom because I'm like a little kid trying to lead these people. And God hooked him up with all the stuff he didn't even ask for in addition to the wisdom. 
And so if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is going to be thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, where shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means his right way, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How do we live in the kingdom of God? In three of the final four verses here, he gives us what Warren Wiersbe says, these three words. Faith, Father, first. Remember, trusting God to meet our needs. First of all, salvation. You're poor in spirit. You can't do it on your own. It's actually pretty freeing to come to that moment and go, oh, there's a Savior, and I'm not him. I don't know if you guys remember the Beethoven movies. Anybody remember those little movies? There was this little girl on the phone, and she said, oh, they broke up for religious purposes. Well, what do you mean? Well, they had a religious difference. Well, what was the difference? Well, she thought she was God, and he disagreed. <laughs> Here's, that's our problem. We think we're God, and he disagrees. They give you a great treatise of it, right? Started with Lucifer, who's now Satan, he thought he could be in charge. Then the first two people thought they could, and then everybody after them did. And Jesus continually says, no, you can't. You're not good at it. So have faith that he's the one that will take care of your needs. Remember, Father, knowing that he cares for his children, similar to the first word, faith, but believing that he actually cares for his people. For his children. He's Abba. He's Daddy. And then first, putting his way, his will, his kingdom, his path first. Well, how do I learn about that? You can on Sundays. It's really important to read all the time, to talk all the time, but to live all the time. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, all the stuff that you need. And so how do we move towards Jesus? Various ways. So many different ways. But it has to start with humility. You have to, as he said in Mark 1.15, repent and believe. Turn from your way. Some of you sit here this morning just right on the cusp of what we call 4th of July, which is also called Independence Day, and you are super independent. Like, Deadly independent. Uh, I don't forgive people. I, I can't do this. I, I'm here, but I, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand. I, I prayed the prayer. Nothing changes. Maybe a little different way to look at independence. In space dependence. <laughs> I'm independence on the king of kings. I'm spiritually poor. And then he gives me all the riches I could ever handle. And way more than that. So you humble yourself. You submit. You repent. You confess that he's God and you're not. No one else can be. 
and you commit to following him. As Romans 10, 9, 10 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Then how do you move towards him from there? Some of you are past that salvation spot, although you can thank him every day and remember that he saved you, but you need to follow him with your whole heart. You're really divided. You got a lot of different things that are vying for your attention and getting it. So repent. He already knows you're the same person who seriously needs a savior. You just have one, and you've forgotten it. So humble yourself. Come back to him. He's crazy about you, but he's not like, oh, you want to be the king? Try the crown on. See if it fits. No, it don't. And it won't. And then some of you are at a spot where he's got your attention, you're following him, but you have a tendency to keep the good news to yourself. You just hope that you will be like Jesus said, that city set on a hill, you'll shine without ever using words. I know that we've heard, which is likely inaccurately attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You're going to use words. Words are huge. It's not just words. It's actions, not just deeds, and not just words. It's a combination. It's almost like saying, feed the poor, and if necessary, use food. <laughs> like we... You believe him? Tell somebody about it. Tracy, may I say why... You wanted us to come help your neighbor. So Tracy lives in the neighborhood, and there's a neighbor whose yard needed some help. A lot. A ton of neighbors are around there complaining about it. And like Benjamin Franklin said, any fool can complain, and most do. And she's like, why don't we help instead? Inside and out. This is the next step for many of us. We need to actually not just complain about everything being on fire. We need to try to point them to the one that puts it out. And it's not you. So if they're denying you, he says in John 14 and 15 and 16, man, they hated me first. But people see you loving and people see you believing and they see you sharing. And they may not believe it, but if you believe it's the good news and the only way somebody can be saved and the only true riches is to admit that you're spiritually poor and bankrupt and you don't share that with somebody, <laughs> do you even believe it? But it's hard. I don't want to sound like, you know, doom and gloom and turn or burn. Okay, don't say those words. But say this, there is a God, and you're not him. He loves you so much. His kingdom come, his will be done is how we live, and so we want you to know the good news. How's that working out for you is another question you can ask somebody. And they're like, ah, oh, shut up, stay away. All right, I'm going to try it again later. Can't stop me from praying. Don't pray for me. <laughs> going to pray for you. <laughs> We were at breakfast, and my friend said, hey, we're getting ready to pray. Can we pray for you? Oh, no, no, everything's good. I'm like, mm-hmm. Everything's so good, you don't need anybody to pray for you? Come on. 
You guys, this is such a beautiful gift. Such a beautiful gift. I'll finish again with what I said in the beginning. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he's declaring that before we can enter God's kingdom, we must recognize the utter worthlessness of our own spiritual currency and the inability of our own works to save us. I'll add his immense pleasure to save you because of what he's done and to set you free to live that out, stumbling and fumbling and falling down. I have a one-year-old grandson who is a walking treachery trap. (laughs) This kid has broken stuff, got burned. I mean, he's just, and he walks, and then he doesn't. Bam, he's down, right? I never once said, hey, 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 figure it out. Walk in a straight line or don't even try it at all, Benji. I love watching him try. I swear he said, Papa, just about every single time his mouth was open. He says the word yes like this, yes. Like, do you want some goat milk? Yes. He's one of three people in the world that say yes to that, but he says yes. And I never once went, come on, I gotta stop. Yes? It's not it. And you should be learning another language, see or we. Don't, yes, what is that? <laughs> never. You guys, the king of kings is the best dad ever. is going to be like, oh, you tried? <laughs> Success or nothing. That's not how the king goes about it. He knows what a hot mess you are. He saved you, Remember? So let him just fill you up and you keep coming to him and you keep remembering, I need him. Not get saved again, but remember you need a savior. Still, 20, 30, 40 years in and you got one. So go, be strong, be courageous. Let it be contagious. Do not keep the good news to yourself. Jesus, thank you for today. Have your way in us and through us, your rule and your reign, your kingdom come, your will be done in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great day.